Uh, welcome back to the third phase. We've got a absolute legend of the game, 100 plus test wallaby, super rugby veteran and champion. But can't forget, and probably more importantly, an awesome father and uh, awesome husband as well. Uh, welcome to Will, Will Guinea, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Ah, uh, look, kind of over the last week, we know you, you were getting you on. It's like you think you're such a storied career, trying to fit it into a short space of time is always the, the hard bit. But I guess the, the easiest part, and actually, part I was quite interested in is your your upbringing and, and you're growing up, born in Port Moresby. Papua New Guinea, like, give us an insight on 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 that on that life, man. Yeah, so I was born in um, Papua New Guinea, Port Moresby, uh, one of five kids. Um, you know, grew up like not not really having a lot. You know, we, we used to bounce around from house to house, staying with um, aunties and uncles. Um, so yeah, it was it wasn't the easiest of upbringings in that sense, but like. Um, the thing I really enjoyed about what it taught me was just how important family was. Uh, that was a big thing that, that I felt that I, I learned from that, that you, you just always got to be there for each other. You got to support each other. And, um, and yeah, I mean, like I, I was there until I was about 12. Um, I did my primary school and, and everything there. And then eventually my mum and dad, who were, while we were, while we were still really young, was, were, were studying and educating themselves. They got really good jobs and they were, they were um, you know, they sent us over to, to boarding school here in Brizzy and, um yeah I, like I, I came over to to, to just to, to, to study to go to school and uh fortunately I was you know sort of half decent at footy so after I finished high school I ended up staying over here um which which was a blessing because I you know if, if I wasn't I would have definitely just gone back home and probably still be be back home now just chilling in the islands you know my roots are always strong that's home for me you know I, I always I'll go back two or three times a year I'll try to spend Christmas and either Christmas or New Year's with my family back home my parents still live there. Um, you know, I very much identify with that still being my home and where I come from. So um, that's actually, it's been an important part of my life trying to teach my daughter about where we come from and teach her the language and things like that. So, yeah, it's very much a part of who I am. Moving to Brisbane as a 12-year-old, how has that transition, obviously, with such strong roots and being away from family, going into boarding school, et cetera, how does that, how does that transition take place, man? How did, how did you find all of that? Man, I found it tough. I used to cry yeah. every time I left home, even as a 12-year-old up until I was about 16. Every time I left home to, to come back um, after holidays, at the end of, you know, I'd always really struggle and always tell my mum I wish I could just stay home because, you know, the way like us back home, we, it's, I'm sure like a lot of Pacific Islanders will be able to understand, like you you grow around, you grow up around your, your cousins, your aunties, your uncles, you pretty much, it's just one big sort of community, so when you're taken away from that and you're sort of isolated by yourself in boarding school in a foreign place, you know, at that time, it was, it was definitely really tough for me and I, I really struggled. Um, but I was lucky. I had my older brother here with me as well. He, he, he didn't uh, tend to struggle. He was all right with the transition, but yeah, yeah, for, for, for me, it was quite difficult for sure. So he was there prior to, to me. Oh, nice. He'd actually done two, two years of high school in Canberra and then he moved to Brisbane Um when I went over to Brisbane. So he'd had a bit of experience being away from home and being in Australia. And when does rugby start to come into it? Were you playing rugby back in PNG or? No, nah, man, I had no idea what the game of rugby <laughs> union was. I, I didn't know a game like that existed. I, I grew up watching cricket, like massive cricket fan, watching basketball um, and, 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 and and rugby league. And the funny thing is I, never, I was never able to play a competitive sport until I, I moved to Brisbane because – we used to go to church every Saturdays and we used to beg, beg my parents, can we play sport? Because obviously sports played on Saturdays, especially back there. 
Um, they're like, no, nah, we're going to church. We're going to church. Um, <laughs> so the, the, the only sport we'd ever play was just backyard cricket and backyard basketball and things like that. So when I moved over to, to Brizzy, I was like, man, this is cool. I can play sport on Sunday. Um, it, it was just so, it was so, so, so foreign to me. But yeah, I fell in love with the game really, really quickly. And like, I, I, I was obviously, um, you know, pretty good at it as a kid. And that sort of, that fueled my passion to, to continue to, to play and, and to just really enjoy the game. And obviously it's, you know, the, the story sort of taken, taken care of itself. What school, like, as a, a kid in Australia, we don't, as New Zealanders or even on this side of the world, don't get too much insight into the development system and, and how someone would go from schoolboy rugby to that, the, into the professional rank. So how does that, how does that all work out? So it's a lot different now. Like, when I, like I, I say, I preface it by talking about the way schools are now. Like, it's, it's almost like semi-professional school when you go to watch yeah. them. I mean, they've got, like, S&C coaches. They've got, you know, preseason programs that run pretty much the entire year up until their, their eight-week season. They've got people with radios running out into the field doing all, all this sort of stuff. And, I mean, like, when I was in school, and I, was, I, I used to run the water when I was in year seven. Like, they would just use little kids to – and it was probably, like, the, the system as far as transitioning into trying to become professional rugby players, it's you obviously have your Queensland 60, your Queensland 16s, your Queensland schoolboys, uh, your Australian schoolboys. And then from then on, when I was playing, you, if you were good enough, you got picked up into like an academy system for one of the super rugby teams. Uh, and then you sort of, you, you followed that path. And if you're good enough, you obviously transitioned up into the top squad. If you weren't, you just played club rugby. Um, yeah, it's, it's, that, that's, it, it's, it's very traditional in that sense, but it's, you know, back then, rugby wasn't like what it was like what it's like now in school. And I mean, yeah. credit to them; they've got they've, they've obviously got some crazy, amazing programs. Um, and, and you even see the, the kids now as athletes. Man, they you know, I don't think I'd be able to play schoolboy rugby these days. No way. Freaks, eh? <laughs> yeah, it's scary, man. man like, how big the boys are now and stuff. It's like, mate, these kids are pumping weights and stuff from like fourteen years old. It's man, mad. I touched my first touched my first weight when I was like seventeen. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, it was real for me. It was real traditional. Like I was fortunate. I got I picked, got picked up in Queensland 16s. I uh, met my good mate Quay Cooper. Um, mm. Made went through to Queensland schoolboys. I, I, I didn't make Australian schoolboys, but was fortunate enough to play Aussie 19s uh, the following year. And then uh, you know I was lucky enough to get picked up in the Queensland Red System at the end of that year in 2006. Awesome, and you mentioned Quaid, bro. Like so, you you guys met what as 16 year olds or so. Met him when I was 15. We were playing 15. club footy. I was playing for a team called Wests and he was playing for East. Man, it's so funny. You see this real skinny, like, tall kid with jerry curls like down to here. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it so funny. And that is, it was so funny, man, just to remember what he looked like with his hair. And he loved his hair. Like, he loved his hair. Now he's barely got any left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, he ain't got much left, bro. So he probably, you know, he was lucky to have some back then. I know, bro. You should have seen him. He'd be sitting there straightening it, like curling it, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, he carry a pink hair straightening around, and then for the first couple of years, we were playing Super Rugby together. Going <laughs> <laughs> to straighten out the rat's tail. Hundred <laughs> percent, bro. <laughs> oh, awesome, man. And in terms of yourself, like when does rugby start? You talk about the academy system and, and kind of different progression points, but when does rugby start to materialise for you and be like, shit, like? This could be, I might have a good thing going here. 
Bro, I never thought I'd ever be a footy player, ever. I had a first 15 coach who, to, to, to this day, is the biggest reason I'm, I've been able to, to do the things that I've done. He said to me in, at the end of 2012, he goes, you know, you could actually make it as a footy player. I, I remember laughing at him because he was driving me home after training. I, I remember laughing at him thinking, what a joke. Like, who, who becomes a footy player? Like, I'm just going to go back home and pop me guinea. But we, he, he, <laughs> what he did was, he, mate, he, he, we would train every day. Like, he ended up being my Colts coach. So as soon as I would finish training at school or after Colts, when I, when, I, when I was out of school, we would pass for hours and hours and hours. Like, we'd, we'd pass on Christmas Day, Easter. We'd pass. We, we just would train and train. With the lights would be off, we'd put turn car lights on and we'd pass and pass and pass. And eventually, I, I progressed through those systems, as I was saying. And um, it started to hit me, like, when I was probably 18. When I first when I, when I got picked up by the Reds in the academy, I was like, yeah, man, maybe I could actually, actually, actually do this. And it was a funny thing. Like, I walked in on my first day to, to go – to start, start up with the Reds Academy and Eddie Jones tapped me on my shoulder and he said, no, nah, look, we want you to come train with us in the top squad. Um, Shit. And it's kind of just sort of, it's kind of started from there because then I thought, well, like, this is, this might be a thing. But it was, man, it was funny. My first ever session with the top squad, we, the, the warm-up was 15 minutes and it was a bit of skill work and after 15 minutes, I was, <laughs> man, I was buggered. I needed a new set of lungs. Yeah. <laughs> I need a new set of lungs. And he was, I remember Eddie looked at me laughing and goes, mate, this ain't the warm up. What are you doing? I'm thinking, shit, man, if this is just a warm up, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bro, that's, that's the exact same feeling I got um, when I had my first preseason um, at the Lenders. I probably was similar to you, you know, like 18 coming in, coming down. And I remember walking in and I was just so shocked by like how big everybody was. And I just remember oh, walking God. in like I was this like little kid. And I was just like, oh, man, we get, like, free kit. Like, fuck, this is the best right. day ever. hundred <laughs> percent. Like, that's the thing. You, like, when you, anytime you make a footy team, you're like, yeah, free kit. But then being a – like, when you start as a professional, it dawns and you're like, okay, I have to go tackle that bloke, that bloke, that bloke in training. And they're all, like, 120 kilos. And you're like, shit. Bro, run fast, eh? <laughs> Bro. I remember Eddie, my Eddie Jones was tough, man. He would – so, like, we would try to – obviously, it's the smaller guys. We try to, like, stay with each other. So, when, whenever we did breakdown on tackling drills, but, man, yeah. he would come grab you as a halfback and all, like, me, myself, from Quaid. And you go, now, you guys go stand over there with all the back rowers and uh, all the second oh, rowers, and you're going to you're gonna have to tackle those blokes. And you, oh, man, tough school. Tough school that first year, that's for sure. Bro, it reminds me of Jamie Joe. He used to make us do do stuff like that. I remember one time um, we had a preseason, and there was a group of young boys like uh, me – it was uh, Toulouse Vianu, I think, uh, this other guy, Buxton, Popoli, and and I think maybe Jimmy Cowan. And we, like, stuffed up this preseason game real bad against the Blues. Like, we were running it out of our own 22, doing, like, chip, <laughs> chip chases and stuff like that. Bro, the next trainee, he, he came up to us, and he made us do malls, like, against the Fords. <laughs> Bro, really? I heard he's hard, man. I heard he's tough, like, tough, like, tough, tough guy. Yeah, bro. Like, really proper, good coach. Like, Insane, yeah. In his early days, anyway, like 2011 to 2013, he was like crazy. Oh. Like we were doing like Man. full on, like contact sessions, like day before game. Really? <laughs> yeah, bro. <laughs> bro. We were so, that, bro. That first year with Eddie Jones, like it's the toughest training I've done in my entire life. Like he, I swear, he like came into that um that that like part of his career and was like, I'm gonna break some blokes here. I remember we would like we. <laughs> Man, we'd be doing like we'd be doing like yo-yo tests and beat tests in between training set, like in, in between the session. 
And then we'd go back to training, then go do fitness, then do full contact, finish with 300s at the end. Um, and I remember, like, he, he, got all, he got all us young blokes together. Like, it was myself, Quaid, a guy called Charlie Fatsoa, Brando, Vialu, uh, and a couple of, like, the real big but younger forwards, not, not the older guys, obviously. But And he said, you guys don't talk enough, so you're going to play full-on contact in a, like, five-by-five-meter five grid with, like, just bashing, bashing each other. And he goes, we will... We'll stop doing this if you guys talk enough. You want you guys to start talking enough. And man, it was after every session. It was torture. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, that's madness. Yeah, oh, madness. But the, the, I tell you what, the best thing about it was for me that first year, he actually taught he taught me like that, what what I got from it was how to be a professional in that environment before you could actually be a player. Like to, to put in the work, to understand that you've got to make sacrifices. You've got to sometimes just do as you're told. Uh, you've got to be a young bloke in that environment and be, uh, I don't know what other words to say, but like be, be the bitch sort of thing, you know, like be, you go do this, you go do that, go to this group, that sort of thing. And I, I really appreciated it because it sort of sets you up to have a good attitude for the rest of your career. Um, you're not given everything, you have to work for it. Um, and you understand that, yeah, as I said, you've got to earn your place in in, in that group before you can, uh, before you can sort of earn, you know, before you get respected, you know. Yeah, I think that's, I've, you know, like I can relate to that um, definitely, you know. There's a sort of big thing in New Zealand. Um, I don't know how you guys do it, Will, but sort of the back of the bus. So, you know, like the guys yeah. who have been there the longest, you know, like who have been there for so long, played X amount of caps, they sit at the back and then all the juniors sit at the front. But as sort of I was able to go on in my career and the, and the Highlanders, similar to you, you kind of figured out like, oh, I see why you get to move back and you work through those stages of having to earn your way back there and you kind of appreciate the journey of getting back there and and kind of seeing how the young guys react to, like you say, like being that young dude, like are they going to pick up the bags, tackle bags? Are they going to go get the cones? Or, you know, are they going to do those extra reps that the trainer makes that all the young guys do? Eh? It's, I, I think it's, um, you know, pretty awesome and it does set you up for a a, a good good career and and uh, really test you mentally I, I feel any stories that they made you made you do as the as the rookie because who are your vets at, who are your <laughs> veterans at the time when you were when you first come in uh so we had guys like john Roy, david croft chris latham um latham oh yeah yeah latham yeah Bro, absolute, legend absolute legend absolute legend uh, Sean Hardman, so like a lot of old Queensland legends, and, and, and a couple of like obviously Aussie greats like Latho, Latho within there. Um, but like it, we were like myself and Quaid when we come through, it was funny. Like we, so we started end of 06, so there's a little bit of like old school mentality there. Um, com- like just before, like, uh, like because I'd say nowadays, like you can't do the things that you did, they did back then, like in terms of how they treated you, the things they said, what they would do. It was like, it was old school, proper, proper old school. But um, so like every time we went to South Africa, we uh, we had to wear suits as a team. Uh, and we would, get, us young blacks, so we'd get to the airport, whether it was coming back or going, All the every single player would just drop their bags and then they'd be like, all right, boys, we'll see you in there. And then it was me, Quaid, <laughs> Charlie, Brando. And then, and you're in, we're, we're in full suit. So then we're loading all the bags, all the team kit, everything. By the time you get into the airport, like check through, you're like it's like you've had a shower in your suit, and then you you walk you, you you walk in and you see like all these blokes like having like champagne sitting in their suits, real nice, and you're just like, 
just stuff like that, bro. Stuff like that. Which, like I said, when you look back, it's like it's it's like it's it's funny. Like it just it taught you that like you had to work out to not only earn your teammates' respect, but also earn your place within the grid. You know what I mean? Which which yeah. I really really appreciated. I, I I really did. You guys then go on to almost as you say, kind of the old old school. Then you were almost you, you know yourself, Quaid, and a few other boys in that group become the new wave of the Queensland Reds. Which kind of leads up to that twenty, um, you know, your championship year. Like, what kind of what was the big transformation in that stage? Like, to become probably you know one of the most exciting teams to watch in Super Rugby that year. You know, because you kind of went from middle challenging somewhat, but then then to a real to a real contender. It was sort of like a perfect storm. Like we were we were lucky that we had really good coaches coming. We had Ewan McKenzie, a really good man manager, really good understanding of the game, and then we had Jimmy McKay, who was a who was our defense uh, attack coach, and there and, and Matty Taylor, who's now the Wallabies defense coach. Their philosophy was a lot of the times you can get coaches who come in and want to coach a certain way, and you just have to adhere to it and adjust to it. They came in and they said, "All right, we've got these type of players. Why don't we mold a game around these sorts of players?" and play a game that these guys can play based on their skill set. So immediately from us, we there was buy-in because we're like, wow, like we can actually play how we want to play within the structure. They're designing it around us and how we want to do things. Um, and I think like the like for someone like Quaid and even myself, like we, we used to love just playing heads up footy, playing what's in front of us. Yeah. So to be able to have that freedom, to be able to have that freedom, like I said, you just have so much investment in the process now that you, you want to do well because it's, not only just going to be on the coaches, it's going to be on, on you guys as players as well. Um, and obviously, there's a couple of other things. One of the other things was as a coach, Ewan McKenzie, um, he really wanted us to take it back towards wanting to make the Queensland public proud. Like it, it was about what, like what are the what's the tradition about Queensland rugby? Establishing that and then playing in a way that when 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 fans walk away, it wasn't about winning or losing. It was about walk out the team. The team represented these values and it was really obvious in, in, in how they played the game. So again, you're going back to, to having an investment and a buy-in in terms of what you're putting out as a product, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like you can judge yourself based on yeah. your performance, not just about numbers, but about um, you know what people say about you after a game. Oh, they, they played tough. They played hard. They didn't give up. They, they, they were making sacrifices out there in the field that you can see. Uh, and... You know, the other thing that I really enjoyed about what the coaches brought to that group was they would back you no matter who your name was. And a lot of the times, so his big philosophy was if you weren't right to train Monday, you're not playing regardless of what your name is. So what that did for a lot of the group was the third, fourth fringe player. It was like, all right, he knows he's playing on Monday. He's like, wow, the coach believes in me. Whereas more often than not, you have yeah. your coach will give your star players until Thursday or Friday. And that guy that might play doesn't have the right amount of preparation time where he starts to feel like, no, nah, coach doesn't believe in me, so I'm only here just because the guy can't make it at the last minute. And then obviously, like it's funny, like all those things sort of come together. You, you get you get you get momentum throughout the season. You start to have confidence and believe, and bro, you just get on a roll. I mean, I'm sure you you, you know what I'm talking about Lima. You know, you, whether it's been with All Blacks or the Highlanders, like you just get on a roll and you just keep going. Yeah, and I just I guess I guess you know when you're playing such good good footy. It's like you're not even thinking, you know what I mean? Like it just it just happens. But obviously you've put in the hard work and obviously you've you you've done all your homework, but when you're actually out there and things seem to just be going for you and like you're doing crazy shit and like it just comes off, you're just like you know, like it it, it just it just happens and it's 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 a crazy buzz, eh? 
It's a crazy buzz. It's like it's almost like unconscious. Like you're not, like you said, you're not thinking. It just happens. And I remember throughout that season, that was exactly like we we got until like the second last round, and like we hadn't even thought about winning the comp. I remember sitting down with Digby and having a chat, and he was, he said to me like, "Bro, we we might actually be able to win this." And it was the first time that that was actually a thought within like the group because we were just playing footy. We were loving what we were doing. We were trying different things. Quay kicking crossfield kicks in goal, like just heaps of stuff like that. Right. You know? Like things things were just things were just happening. But yeah, it was it was it was a crazy crazy cool buzz, man, and a crazy cool feeling. And it, yeah, I mean, bro, it feels like lifetimes ago now. Yeah. <laughs> bro, when you um when you like think back to that time, um, you know, I think back to my time as well. Um, the culture of the club, do you think that plays a big fact factor in, in how you became successful as a club and how you guys turned it around, you know, like who, who were, who were the drivers of that? And, and, and what was that like um, at that time with the Reds? Cause it looked like, fuck, it looked like some cool fun, man. Yeah. Culture is massive. I mean, like we, we, we were, I feel like culture for me starts with like your coaches and, and sort of feeds down, you know what I mean? And so when I was talking about that thing about link, you uh, and the coaches trusting players like that, that was huge because everybody starts to feel like, you know, they're part of the group because like a lot of the times you have guys who are training and never get to play or they know they're not going to get to play because they've got such and such superstar or star or whatever in front of them. So the fact that there was that trust, not just from the coach, then bled into the, each and every person within that team trusting each other. Um, and also what helped for us is we, we like we, as a group, we were a young group together that had come through the age, age levels together. So you, you've automatically already got that bond and those relationships with each other. Um, and you build those further when you work hard and when when you start to have success as well. Uh, so for me, it kind of all went hand in hand. And we were a hardworking team, man. Like we were, we like we we would we would man we would put we would put through our paces, and we wanted to make sure that um, that was something that I guess people saw when we played. But again, it goes back to what I was saying. Like that hard work that you put in, that sort of helps you build those bonds because when you're in the trenches, you know, you, you, yeah. When you're in the trenches, you only have each other to rely on. So, I think, yeah, I mean, the culture for me because we were, we were young back then, so a lot of the culture is driven probably more so from coaches than within the playing group. Mad, bro. And so, obviously, during that, you win that Super Rugby Championship during this time as well. You've made your like you debuted for the Reds as an 18, 19 year old. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, eighteen. Yeah, against the Hurricanes, and then. Two years later, you're debuting for the Wallabies against the All Blacks. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, bro. So, yeah, talk to us in and around that time because I really feel like that Reds, like leading up to that Reds point, I think with yourself, Quaid, James O'Connor, it was a really changing of the guard within Australian rugby. And there's probably a little down patch because you had like Larkham, Gregan, all of those guys, and then maybe a bit of a down patch. And then you guys kind of re-energized Australian rugby and really, I suppose, create you talked about it with the Reds, they're creating more of a bigger purpose in terms of connecting with the audience, etc., or with the fans and stuff. But in terms of that brand of Australian rugby that came through from kind of your debut, can you talk to us a, a bit about that and kind of changing the guard, moving to the international ranks? How was that all for you as well as having success at the Reds? Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty amazing time because uh, like, so I'd made, I'd actually, I'd made my, Wallaby debut in 2009 after having yeah. I like I made my debut for the Reds in 2000 end of 2006 I'd played my first game for the Reds and then Damn, uh, we were still yeah, at school, bro. Yeah, man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I 
bloody hell, it's a while ago, man. But um, <laughs> yeah, I made my Aussie debut in uh, 2009, and it was it was a crazy time, man, because like 2009 for me was a big year because I I started to like more than anything that was when I realized I could actually be a good footy player, yeah, if that makes sense. Like you, you make it into a professional environment, and you think like I love doing this, I love doing that, but then you start to realize I want to do more, I want to be better, better, I want to be the best I can be. And then I, uh, I'd actually, I was, I was playing good footy. I'd, I'd been injured, and I was supposed to. I spoke to Robbie Deans later that year around the, the domestic test, and he said, "Look, I was going to pick you, um, but you're injured, so just get fit, and I'll see if I can pick you for the the, uh, the Tri Nations at that stage." So that was a pretty buzzy feeling for like a 21 year old um, who, who could potentially be playing for your country. And then, obviously, he followed through on his word. And I just remember, like, it was such a surreal feeling, like, walking into that first team meeting. You go see, like, you see George Smith, um, Nathan Sharp, like, all like all these, Matt Guido, Drew Mitchell, Adam Ashley Cooper, just all these absolute legends of the game. And you start to question yourself, thinking, man, I don't yeah. belong in this. Like, what, what am I doing here? Like, this is this is crazy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, back to your question, it was sort of the change in the guard as, as well in the sense that Robbie Deans had obviously come over and he was bringing a different style of rugby, a different different setup as far as the culture. Uh, and I, I think I saw Matt Guido say something like last week it was where Robbie wanted to change the dynamic of the group where it was everybody was everybody had to say regardless of experience or, or age or uh, however long you've been in the environment. And a lot of the older players actually didn't take too well with that. Um, they, they were of the opinion that you've got to earn your time and earn your place like we were speaking about before. Yeah. You know, us as young, young kids coming into that group, you're like, oh, like this is good. Like we, you know, we, we we can have our say. We can do what we want. For me, I was a little bit more reserved, so I kind of just was quiet and showed respect and all that sort of stuff. But um, you know, obviously, guys like uh, Quaid and James and Kurtley would come in as well at that time. Probably a little bit, a um, little bit more outspoken than myself. <laughs> and it, it, and it would, yeah, I mean, it would definitely rub 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 the older players the wrong way a little bit for sure. It probably create a little bit of a divide at, at certain times within that group. Um, over the years, but you know, eventually, I think because the guy, guys like Quaid and Kurtley and, and myself and James eventually knew that we would take their place in terms of like the senior playing group. So it was kind of a tough transition, to, to be honest. Um, because what made it tough was a lot of the young guys coming through were the were the the, the big players, the star players, yeah. who were starring in, in the starting you know starting in the starting teams in the big games. So it was a bit of an awkward transition, I, I, if I'm being honest, but. Still, for me, still an amazing time. I still remember walking into that first team meeting, and like Lima, you were saying, like I get got on the bus, sitting in the middle of the bus, um, worrying about where you're going to sit because you've got all the, you know, you got all these superstars sitting, these big dogs sitting in the back of the bus. Pretty scary time, actually, getting on my first team bus. <laughs> oh, it is scary, eh? Like I remember my first bus, and I, I think I was actually on the bus like 15 minutes before we actually had to leave the team hotel, yeah. bro. Because I didn't want to, I don't want to get like too far back or like miss out on like having to get called back to sit down or just stand up. You know what I mean? Oh, bro, I I, I made the big mistake of sitting in front of Matt Guido. And if anybody knows that bloke, he's the biggest shit talker you'll ever meet in your entire life. So, <laughs> man, my 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 first my first year, I'm just getting sprayed from the back of the, from from him the entire time, and oh, it was tough, tough school. What was he saying Fun. to you? What was he saying to you? That first oh, bus man, ride. Bro, he just egg you on and be like, because I sat like sort of two thirds toward the back, and you go, oh, you're a little bit too far back. Then you think, what are you, what are you doing here? Let me try. Like, he's like, your, your kids just fresh, your kids just fresh out of the wrapper. Like, what are you doing back here? You should be standing up. 
I was like, shit, man, what am I doing? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the self doubt starts to creep in. Like, oh, oh no. massively, massively, massively. <laughs> Hectic, man. And talk to us about your debut, bro. So you're, and I know like leading up to being called in, you were injured and you were kind of splitting time with the Reds as well with another halfback. Yeah. So I, 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 um, I was splitting time with Benny Lucas at that stage. And, uh, yeah. it's funny, like the, the way everything works out, like it's a lot of the time it's luck. You make your own luck, but he, he'd heard his rib cartilage. He was a starting halfback. I was on the bench. He'd heard his rib cartilage and was out for, I think, four or five weeks. So I'd come in and played and, you know, started to play really well. And then I got suspended for four weeks for a spear tackle, then come back and played <laughs> played well. But I'd only played about maybe eight games or nine games. But, you know, obviously Robbie thought that I'd played well enough to to come through. But, um, like, for me, it was such a, it was such a big surprise. I didn't, like, I had not played enough and probably not well enough. But with Australian rugby being in that transition period, it obviously provided an opportunity for me to get in, to get into the squad and get, get an opportunity. So, like, that debut, man, against the All Blacks, I, like I'm a die. I, I was a diehard Kiwi fan, diehard All Black fan. Coming through school, like favorite player Dan Carter, Richie McCall, those mm-hmm. sorts of players. Um, and like never really watched rugby in, even in school. Even though I played it a lot, never really watched it if, if the All Blacks weren't playing. Because I was a yeah, I was a huge fan. So to like then be sitting on the team bus heading to the to Eden Park, getting ready to play against them, like man. When I was when I watched the hacker that first game, I was like more of a fan than like actually getting ready to compete against them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, man. I was like sitting there. I was like, wow, like that's you know that's Richie. Like this is I'm about to face the hacker, and then man, well, I, I only played two minutes in my debut, but when you get caught up, it's I was like, man, I don't want to go on. You, you, you're sitting there watching the clock run down, thinking, oh, get me on, get me on, get me on. Then you're like, no, nah, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Leave, leave me on the bench, please. I'll, I'll debut some other time. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like the most amazing, like people say it a lot, but the most amazing experience getting to, to run out there and play, um, play for your country. And it was two minutes, but it was you know for me it'll always be something really special that I remember. Leading on to that, you go on to play a, a handful of tests off the bench and then start to cement yourself as a starting halfback. Yeah, so I was I, I was that Tri Nations. I was on the bench for the first four games, and then I started my first test against the Springboks in Brisbane. Uh, which we ended up winning, played, played, I mean, I played, played quite well. I think I got man of the match that game. And I was sort of, I think from then on sort of established myself to be the, yeah. the starting halfback for, you know, for, for a while. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's, that's essentially how it, how it sort of happened, how it unfolded, I guess. Bro, how scary oh, man, the I, 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 Bro, Bucky's and Victor and those giant, like huge men. And at, at that time, 2009, they, they won the tri Nation, So they were, like they were a very, very good team. Very good team. Because they, 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 like that was around the time where you would say sort of they're in their prime. Like before they got a little bit, little bit older. Bro, do you reckon they're um, way different when you play them in South Africa than when you don't? I know, like they're always going to be good, but in South Africa, it's almost like they're on steroids or something when you play against them. Bro, I don't know what it is. I really don't. But they're way different. I, 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 I like they just I, they love being at home and they play so much better, so much like it's I, I I don't know what it is and like you I feel like you as a player too you also sort of shrink a little bit you're kind of like you, you give them like I I always used to go there thinking all right the first twenty thirty minutes is going to be hard altitude but like it's almost like you give them that leg up and they just yeah. take it and they run with it man <laughs> yeah bro it's like. Yeah, they just like seem to run harder or like they never run out of energy. You're like, 
fuck, man. Just go away. I know, buddy. But they're so patriotic, so it just seems like they yeah. love being at home, playing in front of their home fans. Um, and they obviously, like, they get such an emotional high and emotional kick from it that obviously manifests itself physically so that they, they, they run harder, they kick the ball further. But I like I so I play in in Japan. I play with a guy called Andreas Kutsi. He plays for the Lions. I, I asked him. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I said to him, I was like, "Why do you go? Like, do you find it an advantage when you play at altitude when you play against us?" And he, he was like, "Yeah, we do." So like we we to the point where like we probably chill for like the first half, maybe first fifty minutes, because we know that at the back end of the game we'll run you down. Because like for us, Man. you guys you guys come to like altitude and you struggle. Like whereas for us, it's normal. Like we're we're sweet. We don't feel it at all. It was, it was pretty cool sort of like eye-opener for me because I was like, eh, kind of makes sense now because teams like the Lions tend to run you down towards the back end of games anyway. Bro, how gassed are you last 28 oh my playing God. the Lions? Eh? <laughs> Holy. Bro, I, got co- I got cotton mouth and like I'm cramping like down to my toes. I'm like getting off the field. <laughs> <laughs> And talk to us. So, like Robbie Deans is the guy that that's picked you. I suppose, especially for us being New Zealanders and seeing like a, a New Zealand coach taking an Australian team. From your perspective, does that come into your thinking at all? Or I know for him to get buy-in from the players or anything, or was it just just like having another coach and everyone bought in, all good? Well, for me, it wasn't. Like, I obviously, I can't yeah. speak too much on like other people. For me, it wasn't. I like, I actually really appreciated the fact that we had such a great coach who come from such yeah. a success at the Crusaders. I think I know there's a lot of people who are saying, well, you've got to have Aussie coach and things like that. But for me, it's just about getting the best person in to do the job, regardless of where they come from. And like we were lucky, like how, how lucky that we got one of the great coaches of this era to, to to be taken over. And I think I was really appreciative and grateful of that fact. So um he was probably a little bit ahead of his time too, you know, as well as uh, you, you, when I look back, like nowadays coaches speak about all the things that he was speaking about, you know, everybody comes in, you're equal. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has a say. The group drives the culture, the environment. He, he was very much um, at the forefront of that sort of stuff at, around that time um, and driving those sorts of things. And it probably, because we still had like a lot of the older players there, you know, as I was alluding to before, like it would rub them up the wrong way a little bit, um, which is kind of why I was saying he's a bit, he was ahead of his time. And he, he was a good coach. He was a good, really good man, which I really appreciated. Always cared a lot about people's families. Um, wanted to make sure that you were comfortable. They were comfortable. Um, yeah, he, he, he'd be one of my favorite coaches for sure. Awesome. Like just on the topic of coaches, I guess you've had some some great coaches. Obviously, Robbie, Ewan, uh, Eddie Jones, and and Checker. Obviously, those last two they probably get they get some mixed press from the media. But I guess like, what's your like your lock changing room because I guess guys like these, you know, they've had their successes and they've coached for a long time. You know, your insight to to those coaches, man. So like, Czech, I'll speak on Czech. So Czech, he, he's so different to what he puts out there. You know what I mean? He seems like this rogue like guy who's just irrational and, and a bit crazy. But honestly, he's he's a lovely like. It's a, to me, he's an awesome guy. Like he, he he backs in terms of like supporting and caring for his players. Like he's probably been the best coach I've had. He, he'll back you, he'll support you, he'll take all the heat for you. Uh, and he's he's pretty loving, sort of caring dude, you know what I mean? Like, he's so opposite to what he puts out there. And he he likes to manipulate things like that. He does it on purpose because he thrives off the off the, off the off the hate, so to speak. You know, he thrives yeah. off people trying to put him down and backs to the wall, that sort of stuff. Um, 
but he, he's a great coach, great, great person. And much like, like, much like Robbie Deans in that sense is he's very much big on driving culture and environment and being, having players lead that sort of space. Um, and it's funny, like a lot of people think of him so differently, differently to what he is. And I'd say Eddie's the same as well. You know, I only had Eddie for the one year back in 2006, 2007, but yeah, he was very much the same as well. Probably a little bit more crazy than Chef. I mean, man, I, we had, well, I'll, I'll tell you the story. We had a guy called Oli Ave. He was, um, <laughs> top, he was the, Reds, the Reds hooker at the time. And we walked in. But we, had a, we had a meeting a couple of days after the first day back in 2006. And he, his skin folds were too high. And so we ha- we're having a meeting. Eddie stands him up and he goes, Oli, stand up, mate. Oli stands up. He goes, do you think it's all right to have your skin folds that fucking high, mate? And he goes, no. He goes, you know what, mate? In the other room over there, there's academy kit. Go get it. You're training with the fucking academy for preseason. <laughs> <laughs> that's Eddie Jones, man. That's Eddie Jones. Oh, fuck. That's hilarious. That's a pretty good impression but they all as well. Diff- yeah. yeah so I heard him spray people that many. I heard him spray people that many times. That's why. But um, they all, the funny thing about them all is they all have their different ways of doing things, but it's about trying to get the same outcomes. And obviously, for some people, a certain style works. Other people, another style works. Um, but they all, they've all, they, I mean, they all always have the same intentions, but there's just different ways of getting across, I guess. But how fun was it being in that 2011 Queensland Reds championship team? Because, like, I remember watching, you know, like you're saying, for the 20, the kick in the goal line from Quaid, like Digby's dancing, and some of the tries you guys are scoring were just unbelievable. Like, I remember that. You scored that sixty meter one, just a single solo drive against the Crusaders. I think it was. Yeah. Uh, how fun was that? Like, man, it was so much. It was honestly so much fun. It's like Lima was saying. Like when you get out there, you just do things. You express yourself. But we were so fortunate. Like I said, uh, like as as a playing group, we had the coaches who were like, just go express yourself. Like go go out there and play how you want to play the game. With it. like, we had such a simple structure that it was literally like we had two cores. It was we're gonna. Hit, I think Broncos was hit middle. Cowboys was hit wide and then the rest was just play footy. And like, so to, to be able to have that freedom to go out there and like, you just felt like a kid, like you do what you want to do, like chip and chase or, you know, flick pass or do whatever it is. As long as, but their, their big thing is as long as you practice those things of training, you practice those skills, get out there and do what you want. And like I said, we were so lucky that they would, like particularly our attack coach, uh, he was real close with myself and Quaid. Um, he would just allow us to, to get out there and play what we see to express ourselves. And like, there's no more, Playing footy, there's nothing more fun than that. Just getting out there and playing what you see and being able to express yourself. Like we, it's the most fun I've had on a footy field, and also the most fun I've had off the footy field because we had such a good group of guys. We enjoyed each other's company. Uh, and I'll say this: like you and McKenzie was like he didn't have very many rules. He, one of his he had a couple of rules. <laughs> one of them was two rules: turn up one time and make sure you're wearing the right kit. He's like, I don't care what you do outside of rugby, whether you're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I don't care if you go have a beer at this like whenever but when you when you turn up you wear the right kit you're on time and you train hard wow that's so mean, bro it was a whole bunch of fun man and, he, and you know, like, the other thing I really enjoyed is he said celebrate your wins he, he was like I don't care go out, go out and have a drink go out and have a drink till 4 or 5 in the morning whatever it is celebrate your wins especially because us as the Queensland Reds we, we were terrible in years gone by he's like you, have, you guys haven't won yet you haven't you haven't appreciated celebrating winning games so go out there and do that enjoy it and you'll get a taste for it and you'll want more of it 
so we had a we had, we had a whole bunch of fun that year. That's for sure. Wow, uh, must have been uh, some pretty good nights at Fridays or Sundays at the normal thing, bro. <laughs> too many, bro. Too many nights like that. Too many <laughs> nights like that at Fridays, and also overseas. <laughs> overseas, yeah, we had too many good times. Plenty of good memories. Leading into that period, like this great coaching, 2011 World Cup. Yeah, 2011 yeah. was my first World Cup in New Zealand. Yeah, in yeah. Zealand. So full circle from the debut going back. Like, what's tell us about that journey through the World Cup? And you guys were playing the Reds had won. You're at the peak of your powers, Quaders, Australian rugby's humming, heading into the World Cup. Tell us about that journey, bro. That was crazy. So we'd had a really good win against the All Blacks in Brisbane uh, leading into That's that right. World Cup. Yeah, we so we'd won the Tri-Nations, which we were pretty chuffed about because it was the last one before it changed the Rugby Championship. So we were heading in there with some kind of momentum. But um, I don't know. Like what, what, I, I really enjoyed that World Cup. But I remember we, we probably – we got caught not um, – we got caught not trying to evolve and get better as the tournament went along, I found. Like, we got stuck thinking, all right, we can just play this way. We, it's worked for us against Dual Blacks and Tri-Nations. Worked for us, you know. We got stuck thinking that that would carry us right the way through. And we probably we probably got a bit too far ahead of ourselves in terms of being a bit too overconfident. You know, we, we end up losing to Ireland. Um, we only just beat the Springboks in the quarterfinal. Um, just, we probably, should have, we probably shouldn't have won if it wasn't for David Pocock. But, um... And we ended up getting spanked by the All Blacks, I think, 22 nil in that um, in, the, in the in the semi-final. But yeah, when I think back, we we probably got a bit of it too far ahead of ourselves and a little bit too overconfident. And like I said, from a tactical tactical perspective, we we went we didn't we didn't evolve our game as as the tournament went along. So we we sort of got found out. Yeah, and I think the other thing is we were all so young. Like when I think about the players in key positions in that team at the time, like. You think about Rugby World Cups, it's won by experienced players who know how to grind out tough situations and tough games. Whereas, like, we had that 2011 Reds mentality where, like, now we're just going to play, you know, we're going to play what's in front of us, you know, play running rugby, all this sort of stuff. Whereas, I think World Cups are won on, you know, as we've seen, World Cups are won on, um, you know, playing set playing piece. percentages and playing set piece well, kicking your goals, uh, just just those types of rugby. Whereas, we, 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 we couldn't play that type of rugby at that time. Yeah, hectic, bro. And like that Super Rugby, you guys go through solidifying yourself as as an international player. Um, I think you you won. It was Australian Rugby Player of the Year, and along those years as well. Yeah, I think in uh, two thousand and eleven and twelve. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then carrying that on through to the, I suppose, building up to the two fifteen World Cup. You're still playing Super Rugby. Two fifteen World Cup comes by. How was all of that? Best eight weeks of footy of my life, I'd say. I mean, along yeah. with my time at the Queensland Reds, just a, 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 like a whole bunch of fun. Like it was really cool having the, the the Rugby World Cup in the UK, just because obviously the home of rugby, and you just had that feel of tradition and um, you know being in such a cool cool city, cool country, like a big place where it was you, you felt like it was a big event. I, I, I really enjoyed that. And and again, like we, the like the reason it was such an enjoyable eight weeks wasn't so much because we were winning, but we just had a really good group of people. Yeah, that that spent a lot of time together, worked hard together, um, and build those bonds, which I think is the reason we had that success heading towards the final. Because, um, yeah, it was made. It was just a whole lot of fun. Like it's it's hard yeah. to put into words that 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 eight weeks because it's such a blur now when I think about it. And the. I suppose a big changing point um, heading into that World Cup, Australia introduced what's now called the Gateau Rule. 
and you guys got back a whole load of like really experienced world-class players, Gato, Drew Mitchell, Adam Ashley Cooper. What does that do to the environment and for the boys? It was it was it was such a such a masterstroke by Chuck because as I was saying before, he realized that rugby world cups aren't necessarily one on three flamboyant type of rugby. It's about having old old heads who understand situations and games, set piece, playing field position territory, kicking your points. So having those guys come back and those guys that had plenty of success, particularly Gibson Drew in the uh, I think it's Champions Cup now over there. They'd won the last two or three mm. in a row, I think. So they they and that sort of rugby is pretty much playing test rugby. So Having those guys come in was a huge shot of confidence for us as players um, because we knew the experience that they were bringing in. They were winners. You know, when you have guys who come into your team that are genuine winners, that brings a lot of confidence as well. And just their ability as players. I mean, Gitz, a wonderful player and and from an attitude perspective as well, like just drove high standards. So having those guys within the group made a huge difference for us for sure. And what was it like when you first joined the Wallabies and Gitz is spraying you for sitting too far? You're probably near the near, near the, back. the back of the bus now. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was sitting in front of me. Yeah. Front of me. I was right at the back and he was a couple of seats in front. So uh, I got him back. Don't worry. I mean, I, he yeah, came mate. in after the, the 2019 Rugby World Cup and we were sitting we we're sitting down having a drink after we just lost to England. I looked at him. I said, "Man, how many test caps do you have? And he was like 101. I was like, well, mate, I've got 110 now. So, you know, the dynamics change during this group. <laughs> he had a good laugh. He had a good laugh. He's a good man. Talk to us about the World Cup final, bro. Like coming, you guys have this experience, this really strong tournament. How? What was your feeling heading into that final? It was funny. Like you, uh, you, I woke up that morning thinking, man, tonight I'm going to be a world champion. Like it was kind of one of those feelings where you realize the significance of the opportunity that you that, that was in front of you. Um, but then, when, I, you know, once we got into the game, it was funny. Like we, we, our discipline is really poor in that first half, and you know, DC is just stopping them from everywhere. So it, it kind of felt like the entire game we were just chasing the game. We were just chasing the game, and then we got to during the game we got to a point where it was twenty-one seventeen. So it was four points. We just scored a try, and we, you know, we started to, we started to think. You know, for me in particular, I was like, man, we, we, we're running them down. We're getting them down because Ben Smith, I think, got yellow carded. Yeah. And then you know, DC just gets 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 it gets the ball and just steps back on his left and slots a forty meter drop goal. And then we're ahead by seven again. And then we're like we're chasing again. No, we just always constantly have that feeling of chasing the game. And then obviously Barrett runs away and scores that try, and then game's pretty much done. But yeah, it's like an amazing experience, truly amazing experience to, to have played in that Rugby World Cup final. Um, but I mean, we, we lost to the better team. So when I think back, of, when I think back to it, I don't think back with regrets or like get emotional or sad about it. It's just um, you're fortunate. I was fortunate. We were, we were fortunate enough to be in that position, but we just, you know, I guess, at the time we weren't good enough. We just we weren't good enough. Right. And sometimes that's just rugby, eh? Like you know, like I've been in games in my career where you know come up come up short, but knowing that I've given absolutely everything. And and sometimes you just have to you know tip your hat to the you know the opposing team and you know sometimes see the opposing number and just be like fuck you know it is what it is like hundred percent hundred percent and you can accept that you know yeah and that's the thing like if you, you can accept it especially if you know that you've done everything that you can but you've just come up short because your opposite number or the op- the opposition are just better and you know you come up against the team like that which which is the All Blacks at that stage are stacked full of experience and youth and we're playing like a good brand of rugby. 
and like there was nothing much you know that you're emotional you're upset about it after the game but you're like you know what you guys are too good and that certainly was one of those one of those times like you were saying and and just you know obviously i've um you know i got kids on my own how is that how is having kids or your own family affected the way that you look at rugby now compared to say when you looked at it in 2011 or you know in, in your early years of, of playing footy well the thing is like around 2011 i was just like footy was just awesome because you're just enjoying it like it's yeah i mean i've been saying a little bit but you're just expressing yourself you're having fun you're doing what you want to do but then for me like i went through a period from about like 2013 to 2015 uh, around the World Cup, where you start to overthink things, you start to worry about the politics of the game, you get caught up in um, things that are going on in the administration and worrying about a whole lot of things that you don't need to worry about. And I think for me, having my daughter um, made me realise again that like rugby is just a game. Like that there's so much that she's so much more important than anything else that I, that I that I'm doing, whether it's rugby or anything else. So in that sense, it put rugby in its place to just be a game which for me allowed me to enjoy it as a game again, if that makes sense, and allowed me to just feel like a kid where I can get out there and run around and play and have fun um, and, and not worry about things that complicate the game, you know, not worry about what people are saying or thinking about it, not worrying about what's going, in the, going on in the organisation or the politics or things like that, like just playing footy. So, I'm, like, it's a selfish thing in a sense, but I'm also, like, incredibly grateful that, for me, that's what she's done for me. She's made me enjoy the game as a kid again which is such a great gift, like such an amazing thing that she's done for me. After the Lions series in 2013, I mean, I played against All Blacks. We played the first two tests and then I got dropped against, I think, Argentina. And then like, I was only dropped for the one game. I come back, played, I was starting again for the rest of the year. But then 2014, I didn't play the entire year because I was injured. Uh, I think okay. I had, I'd, done my, I'd done my syndesmosis, but then also when I came back, Nick Phipps and Nick White were playing some really good footy, so they were still they were just getting picked, picked ahead of me. So I was I was in the squad, but I just wasn't uh, playing, um, and which was fair enough because they were playing really good rugby. But that yeah, around that sort of time, you start to think, um, you just you question yourself. You're like people are saying that you can't do this or you should do things that way, this way. Um, you start to think, can I still do it? Um, and you just overcomplicate things in your head. You over you overthink things, and where. It, I guess what where that what what it does to your game is you you're not playing in that free flowing state anymore. You're not being instinctive, which for me was massive because that's how I like to play footy. And uh, yeah, you obviously just don't play as well as you'd like to. And then again, that compounds itself in thinking, oh, what didn't I do in that game? Why wasn't I playing as well as I would have liked to? And it's just like a vicious cycle. Yeah. So then for me, like the, I mean, the thing that saved me, like I said, was just having my little one was like starting to realize there's more important things than footy and it frees your mind up. It frees you to like, just do it again because it's fun, not because it's your job or not because you want to try and please the, the media or other people in terms of what they're saying and, you know, stuff like that, all that sort of rubbish. I can attest to that, you know, like you come home and say you don't play that well or, um, you know, you have a good win, um, but, you know, you might go into the aftermatch and your daughter's screaming your head off crying. Like she doesn't care that you won or like, you know, you lose and, and you're down and then you, you walk upstairs and you go to the aftermath and she sprints over and gives you a big hug. You're just like, oh shit, actually, like this is, you know, I'm sweet. Yeah, like, mad. you know, whether you win yeah, or you lose, a, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. 
mate, it's the best. I love coming home. Like when you win or lose, or you feel like rubbish, and she just wants to colour in something. You just like, yeah, that's that's what it's about, you know. Or she wants to go to the park, or like she just she's just happy and this. That yeah, that's honestly that's all that matters. So um, she's given me so much more than I could ever give her, which is which is a blessing. You've had such a storied career. How have you stayed relevant, or what have you evolved within your game? Um, to to stay kind of at the top, you know, like I suppose you came on the scene as a run and gun halfback, and probably as your games matured, you, you've had to develop it in different ways. How have you stayed relevant, bro, as a halfback? Well, you just watch the trends as far as how the game is being played. It's not about necessarily watching specific halfback, other halfbacks, and what they do. You, you watch the trends, and like, uh, and the thing that I picked up was that, like, like when I first come on, it was I used to love running the ball and like. Um, take carrying the ball myself, playing a little bit like more of a running game. But then as my career has gone on, Robbie Deans actually said to me, he said, look, what, what you'll find now is teams will mark up when you're a lot heavier. So what I want you to start doing is just passing, just pass, 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 pass. And then, and then eventually over the years start to mix it up between the both. But then, you know, as like, as, as the game sort of evolved, you find the nines kick a lot more. And I went yeah. through a phase where I, was, I struggled a bit with box kicking and, and kick like, just kicking in general, I used to get charged down a lot. So it's something that I had to work on a hell of a lot. Uh, and I, I certainly something that I got better at. Um, and then just, yeah, just like grow, growing your game as far as just your skills, continuing to work on your skills. Because uh, like in the halfback position in particular, like it doesn't necessarily change a lot. Like you, you're first, your core role is to, to make sure you're giving good service. And then you just play the game that you've seen in front of you. Um, more than anything else but I think I'd say nines nowadays pass a lot more than say they run it's more of a passing role now than it than what it used compared to what it used to be probably because defences have got a lot better as well now back back yeah. then like defenders defenders around the ruck it was a little bit looser you know the, the forwards probably weren't as athletic as they are now which means they can cover you better um, so you're probably your game is probably more about like passing, particularly early on in the game, maybe first 40, 50, 60 minutes. And then when it starts to loosen up around the fringes, you can find space. Um, so yeah, like it's about in terms of staying relevant or not, not even staying relevant is probably not the right way to put it is staying with the game as it evolves is to just continue to watch those trends and try to adjust your game with it as it goes. How did you find playing in the different styles when you had your time in at Start France fitting in with your own, you know, the old Will, Will Guinea style? I was lucky because they, they their big thing was they wanted to be flamboyant. They wanted to play with flair. Like, their uniforms are pink. Yeah. So they were like, you know what, we're, we're going to, we, we want our style to match the way that we look and the way that we are. So I was lucky that I went to a place, a club that liked to play that type of rugby. But what was a huge eye-opener was whenever we played, just playing in that competition, like, it was all about forward dominance, set-piece, playing territory, keeping your points. Like, I remember we had a scrum on, I think it was like just in front of halfway and we were dominating, dominating. And I took, I, 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 we had an advantage and I took the ball out and took a quick tap and I've never been sprayed so badly by forwards before in my life. They, they wanted us to, they, they wanted us to scrum again. I was like, nah, let's play. Let's like, we got the advantage. I got put in my place real quick there. So I, I never, ever took quick taps again, but it's, it's real different rugby in that sense. And that, the funny thing about it, I feel like rugby, particularly in Northern Hemisphere at club level, is played more like test match rugby than, uh, than say, super rugby, for example. Not in terms of skill level and, like, athletic ability and things like that, but just in terms of their mindset around the game. 
where they play the percentages really well. They play territory. They play the set piece. They kick their points. So I, I enjoyed it from that perspective, but I, I did also miss, like, say, the free-flowing, like, you know, flamboyant type of footy that you play in Super, that you watch in Super. The touch rugby, they they say, hey, over here. Yeah, they call but, it the touch yeah, rugby. Yeah, they, 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 reckon, <laughs> they reckon there's no physicality of, in, in Super Rugby. It's funny. Yeah, it's funny, right. man. And to now, Iglesias, your, your, third, your third World Cup, which you know that's quite a rarity. You know, it's a small small number of players that have been onto their third World Cup. And kind of what, what was how was that for you, man? And, and um, World Cup number three over in Japan. Well, it was a crazy experience because it was different. Like it was, I was going over there as like a thirty-one year old now. Like at that, and at this point, I was like, I was competing with Nick White to to see who was going to start and not start, and we ended up sharing sharing the role. It was different because, like, obviously the last two I'd gone in as the number one. I'm, I'm playing. I'm part of like how we're going to do things, how we're going to play the game. Game's almost based around the way that, like, say, I'm playing at halfback. But it was different in that sense. And then it was also different because, obviously, there had been a lot that happened that year, last year, with, with the Israel for our situation. Um, that probably hurt the group from a cultural perspective a little bit. So, I mean, in a sense, like, well, there were times where, where people were walking on eggshells in, in the group, not feeling completely comfortable to say or do things that they wanted to do, which, um, yeah, I mean, which which made it made it made it pretty weird, I guess, in a sense, like being away as a group for that long together. I mean, I enjoyed it, like I thoroughly enjoyed the fact that it was the first Asian Rugby World Cup, um, being away in Japan. But it probably wasn't as enjoyable as the the, the former the, the, the two before. And I think that kind of. It was a bit of an up and down World Cup for you guys, eh? and it kind of showed it in your guys' rugby as well. Potentially that there was, I suppose, not disharmony or anything, but it was just, yeah, it just looked like you guys were playing probably a bit cluttered, maybe in your head, and maybe not as freely as as you've said in previous World Cups. Yeah, I mean that's probably the best. Honestly, that's probably the best way to put it. Like I wouldn't say there was disharmony, but there just it wasn't. It wasn't like a, a tight group. It wasn't a group that was. Um, that we were all on the same page. Like that is Rafael, who obviously played a big partner because there were guys in that group that supported him. Then there were obviously guys who supported Rugby Australia and then there were guys who just didn't really care. They just wanted to play footy. So we weren't all sort of aligned um, as far as, um, yeah, in terms of us being a group together. So that sort of played its part in terms of the culture and the environment, but also, yeah, in regards to our footy, we were a lot cluttered. And then when you just think about Izzy in general, like not having someone like that in your team, oh. like you, you would have made oh, he's made the, probably the best athlete I've ever seen play footy in, in, in Australia anyway. Like he's just phenomenal. So to not have someone like that in your team obviously plays plays a role as far as you not being as good as you'd like to be for sure. Yeah, I remember um, we played you boys, must have been Brisbane 217 and it was like nice third start um, at 10. And I think you guys were wearing those indigenous jerseys. We, I think yeah, yeah, that's one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you guys, you guys ended up winning. And um, I actually remember he fended, I think he might have fended off Sonny, and then I came to tackle him, and he gave me the bumpy, like, no. way too good. It's, it's, man, it's freakish. Like, he's, he's like a, he's like a thoroughbred. Like, he's, when you see him run, like you just you, you like I, I used to stand there and watch him train sometimes because when you see him move, he's so smooth, he's so big, he's like he's 
his power, his speed, his just ability. And then obviously he's like footy IQ. He's, he's like, he, he knows the game as well. He's yeah. like a cheat code. He's, he's like a cheat code. Like he's literally like playing with a cheat code. <laughs> Bro, when he's going off for those high balls, hey, like you're just like, holy heck, are you freaking jumping up to dunk the ball or something? Bro, he jumped over me. We played Ireland, I think it was in 2013. No, mate, one, one of the years. He jumped. He literally jumped over the top of me and his, like, his <laughs> ankle, ankles were on my head. Because I, I still like going up for high balls as well. And I, I was sitting there about to go up for this one. As I'm about to jump, he literally jumps over the top of me and like his ankles are on my head. But crazy, man, crazy. And what's that dude like in the gym, bro? Like you see these kind of physical freaks, Lima, you might be able to talk about Sonny, et cetera, but for like, we don't get too much insight from our side, like seeing a guy like that train every day, what kind of stuff is he doing in terms of his detail? He didn't do too much in the gym to tell you the truth. Like he wasn't real big on doing like, say a lot of upper body weights or even heavy, like, like leg weights, squat weights. Like he did a lot of power stuff and a lot of, um, yeah, like he spent a lot of time on doing power stuff, like body weight stuff, like like speed. Like he'd do like bounding because he was like he he was built like that naturally to the point where if he if he did too much weight or like he would it would be detrimental to his body if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm the same, mate. I'm the same. So we had to talk. Tatafu, Tatafu put a lot of now. Like he, he was banned from doing upper body weights because he, he literally would get too big. He would get like way too muscly, like way too big. So they said, no, nah, you're never doing upper body weights. So he would come in and do like push-ups or something, or like, like he would just like waltz around the gym and then leave. And speaking of weights, bro, it sounds like I've heard a few rumors you pushed yeah. around a bit of tin in your time, mate. Yeah, back in the day, man, that was a long time ago. A <laughs> bit, bit, bit of a bench press there, bench presser. Rumors 160, was it 140, 160? No, I got up to 172. <laughs> yeah, but I, was, but I was like 86 kilos back then. Like now I'm like 80, between 80, 82 kilos playing footy. So that's way too heavy for me. Man was just getting those beach muscles ready, eh? For the, for the coast. Yeah, you're saying something about a beach body or something. Yeah, I was like, oh, you must have been um, getting the beach body ready to go down Sunshine Coast or something for the summer, brother. Ah, gee. Ah, gee, not me. Not me. <laughs> not me. Bro, that was a long time ago, man. Uh, I think now I can do like 140 or 150, but I was way too heavy. I could feel it. Right? It's like, you, you, that's the other thing, like you were saying, like in terms of adjusting to like footy. Like back then, I could be 85, 86 kilos. But like I'd say from about 2011 onwards, man, I was too heavy. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to get around. I actually could notice it's so hard to drop it, like drop the weight because it's so much more running now. You yeah. see, you see, in the size of uh, like halfbacks now, if you compare it to the 2000s, the size of halfbacks to compared to now, like you know Aaron Smith, Nick White, like they're all just they're all smaller now. Yeah, man, they were they're t- like tiny. Like I, even, like I was watching a game from 2010. Uh, a couple of days ago, I was I was like, man, I can't believe that's me. Like, I was 84, 85 kilos. I was like massive. And then, like, it flashes. Like, I know I watched the game again in 2017, like when we played the All Blacks in Dunedin. But I was like half the size. Like, I look like half the size. I just had, like no chest and like no back. I'm just like running around everywhere as opposed to like back then. I was like breaking tackles and like palming blokes and like, because you, you, you just like that was the way the game was being played back then. And talk to us about. Bit about, um, I suppose, other halfbacks you've 
come up against? Like, who do you have, I suppose, real admiration for or respect for? Because it's a, yeah, I suppose that you guys are in each other's faces a lot and, and everyone's, like, your roles are so comparable, you know? So my favourite halfback of all time would be Farid Dupree. He's my, he's like, he's my number one. They're the best halfback I've ever seen, I've ever seen play. I, I like him because just, I like his game. Like, he was, to me, he revolutionised the way halfbacks play because, you know, for a while their halfbacks were just pass, 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 whereas he was like a playmaker from halfback. You know, he was about playing people in the space. He, had, he was a great decision maker. You know, he'd be making not the, the right decision nine times out of ten. Great kicker of the ball. He was a great runner of the ball as well and played the game at pace, which I really enjoyed. He's someone I learned a lot off in terms of just watching. So to be able to play against him, he was he, he's definitely my number one. And then I, I really like guys like Aaron Smith and Ben Young. S- similar in the sense that, like, obviously they're, they're, they're very good at their core roles of passing and kicking, but I like the idea of how they like to play people in the space. You know, they're playmakers as well as distributors. They're, they're, they're the types of players that I like to watch that, that I feel like I, the way that I like to play. So they'd probably be the three three outbacks that I really enjoy watching and the three outbacks that I really enjoyed playing against for sure. Growing up, I never really watched much rugby at all. Yeah, I, I loved playing it, but I never really watched it unless it was the All Blacks. And um, you know, I, I was a big fan of my older brother. My older brother used to play halfback when we were in school. He played first fifteen as a halfback, so he was he was probably my role model in terms of watching him play and wanting to be like him as a kid. Um, but there wasn't really any kind of like role model like George Greig or anything like that. No, you know, with um, rugby league being so big and in uh, PNG, but did maybe not before your career because I know you didn't really think about it. But kind of, did you did rugby league ever think of a mid mid trade while you were while you were playing or like anyone knock on your door from rugby league circles in, in Australia because it is so big there? Nah, no one knocking on doors, but I would have loved to, man. I would have yeah, loved to have been like a, a hooker, a or hooker. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like have a good pass and like scoot out, down, run out, and like have the space of the ten meters. In rugby, they're just right on top of you. You're getting smashed if you're not getting the ball away, sort of thing. So, I, I love watching the rugby league. I like, I love, I love watching it. I really wish I had the opportunity back in the day to maybe play, play a little bit, but probably a little bit too fast now. Yeah. Well, man, that's really surprising. I really thought someone had knocked on your door to, to for a hooker role. I like, in hundred percent see. You I wish, man. <laughs> I wish. I, I honestly would have like genuinely would have yeah. considered it because I was there. I love the idea of like, but I wouldn't be able to make all those tackles. You know, you see like guys yeah, like Jamie oh. Smith, <laughs> like I'd be, I'd be broken. I'd be like, take me off, something else. If you, if you could have gone to NRL, what team would you have picked? Cowboys. I'm a big Cowboys fan. Yeah, love the Cowboys. Yeah, Matty Bowen. Man, that JT, Matty Bowen, and you, that spine, that'd be quite nice. Yeah, I got told to look like Matty Bowen too, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> Same speed, eh, bro? Yeah, 100%, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. I wish. <clears throat> Currently going on with all this coronavirus stuff, and I guess it's the, the state of Australian rugby at the moment. Like, it's all in, kind of up in the air. You know, like, and it's, there seems to be, it's all really confusing in that space. Like, kind of, what are your concerns with, like, where you see at the moment, its current state, how all that's panning out at the moment with Australian rugby? Obviously, there's a bit of um, trouble from a financial perspective. I mean, they had they had an opportunity to negotiate for the TV rights deal at the start of the year with Fox, uh, and I think they were offered the same deal, but they I think Raylene turned it down because she obviously wanted to test the waters. But obviously, within coronavirus and everything picking up, um, all that sort of talk about 
um, any of that has sort of been shut down because there's obviously more important things in footy. But what it's done is it's put rugby in a position where the future is not guaranteed because if you don't have the TV rights, then you've got you've not got the the money coming in to make sure that the game survives. And then what's made it even more difficult is that they're in a pretty precarious position financially right now, in that there's not much money in the game, and with no money coming in at the moment because there's no content on um, on the media platforms, there's there's obviously no money to pay the players. There's no money to pump into the game, the organisation to keep things running. Um, so there, I mean, it's it's. I feel sorry because it's in a position where, um, you know, if it continues this way, there's a very big chance that the game, from a financial perspective, won't survive because they don't have the money that's coming in or have money saved away to make sure that, um, you know, they're prepared for for these sorts of times. So. Uh, the biggest way for me, though, is that you see like a lot of people coming coming out of the woodwork, like just um, throwing everyone, every each and everyone under the bus, as opposed to wanting to work together. <laughs> for me, it'd be all that energy that's being put into like wanting to put Raylene down or put the organisation down can be put into wanting to find solutions together. I think that's the thing with Australian rugby is if everybody can get together and work together to find solutions rather than put each other down, that energy can be put into the right place. And it's like as a, as a fan now, more than anything, like it's just sad to see. Sad to see that everybody just wants to push their own agendas because some because they want to be in charge or they want to take over from Raylene, as opposed to just wanting to help the game for the good of it. I mean, that's that's my uneducated yeah. opinion. I'm not in a position it where like, I understand educated. the finances. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I I'm not in a position where I understand like the corporate world or the the finances of it all. But like, you need Australian rugby needs to be a part of world rugby and. It'd just be great if people could see that and try to work together for, for the greater good of it. What do you reckon of the uh, UFC Fight Island idea or the NRL thinking of putting all the players on an island? I think the, the thing I like about it is that they're being innov- innovative. You know what I mean? Like it's they're, they're forward thinking. They're wanting the game to continue to grow, to, to continue to have that, um, to, to, to continue to go ahead. And like people can say things like um, that they're being silly or whatever it might be, but at least they're being forward thinking about it. At least they're getting together and wanting to make things happen. And that, if, if it goes ahead, I'm sure that it, it, will, it will only go ahead as if, if, if it's safe. But at least they have those ideas. They're, having, they're thinking that way. Yeah, man. The, the sad thing is it's been going on for so long. Yeah. And it's obviously with, with this virus, the, the pandemic that's come about, it's obviously brought it all to a head because it, you see the get together and fix it or the game actually will go bust. Um, so, I mean, I guess only time will tell, but hopefully, hopefully something positive can come from all this. Not, not in the not too distant future. All careers come to an end. Well, where, did, where does Will Guinea end up or what's life post career look like for you, bro? Honestly, I don't know. I've always thought that I'd like to stay in the game, like whether it's coach, working as a skills coach or like working, like coaching school teams or club teams or whatever it is, that's probably as much as far as I've thought ahead. Um, but it's I'd like to be involved in the game in some capacity. I mean, I, I, I love it. I think I'll always love it. I think I'll always want to sort of be involved in some small kind of way. Um, so that's that's sort of where my head is uh, at around post footy. It's on uh, quite got a got a message from him. He actually slid through on. What, he he reckons that you. <laughs> this is very, well. There's two. There's two. He reckons. He reckons. Uh, he reckons you genuinely, yeah, like, genuinely take an hour sitting on the toilet. An hour. He reckons. 
True or false? <laughs> Sorry, Wiggins. True or false? Uh, True or false? Uh, I can't answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a bit inappropriate for the viewers, so I'll leave that. I'll leave that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and he and, and he says he, he asks uh, why 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 do uh, why do they call you the choker? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh! This, that, this is that, your this is your time to throw him <laughs> under the bus too, if you'd like. Oh my gosh! I can't believe he's actually put that out there. <laughs> well, um, I'll just say that goes back to the old school times where. No, you know what? I'm not even going to touch on that. I'm not even going to bring that up. That's that's for a story off camera. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> story for off camera. Um, uh, you can tell us. You can tell oh, us after wow. we st- stop the recording, man. <laughs> oh mate. Uh, anyway, that that bloke. That, that bloke. <laughs> That's like, I'll leave him be. I'll leave him be. I'm not going to throw him under the bus. That's all good. Be the better man. Yeah, be the better man. Uh, what, what a prick. <laughs> must, must be a hell of a good story, man. Must be a hell of a uh, good story. Uh, yeah. Later, boys. Later. That one's yeah. for later. Um, the one the one thing doing all this research, finding out that your uh, your true first name being being Sanchez, man, was, like, was that ever going to get a feature? Or was that how did it end up being Will and not not Sanchez, Guinea? Mate, when I was a kid, everyone used to call me Sanchez, so I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going by that name. And it was funny, like my first ever trip to South Africa on my passport, like they were hold, one of the I think one of the older boys had had my passport. And he goes, who the fuck Sanchez? Who is this? <laughs> like they're like who is this bloke and then I was like yep that's me <laughs> oh man I go by that name there now anyway I don't I don't go by Will everyone I just get everyone to call me Sanchez starting to own it <laughs> Sanchez William really odd name for a Papua New Guinean I know <laughs> uh, probably our last so I know you've had over the years man you've had a number of hairstyles you've had the afro you had the Blonde hair, the flat top. You had the braids for a bit too. Like, oh, what, is yeah. there anything left of your career? You know, like any anything left to show for the people they got a surprise for? Or I, I got a mohawk going. At the moment, so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah something new, something different. Yeah, bro. Yeah, nice. Something man. different. <laughs> oh, I read it. I read it. Yeah, bro. For sure. I like that, bro. I think oh, I think that's us, man. We'll wrap it up. I know you've got um. It's the start of your day, so man, really appreciate you, your time, man. That's you know that's probably the most important thing anyone can have. So, so um, really appreciate that, bro. It's been actually really fun. So, some good stories. We'll enjoy um, listening over to this one again. I think. No, no worries, man. Like I said, I really appreciate you guys having me, man. I love doing this sort of stuff and you know just having a yarn and sharing stories and things like that. So, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, bro. It's been yeah, awesome. Bro. Yeah, no worries. Cheers, guys. Take care, brother. Thanks, bro.